Lord, thank you so much for the gospel. We are free. We are free indeed. And so today we come with open ears, open hearts. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to impress us with the word of God, that we might leave here not only knowing more, but with a desire to do more that brings glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, question. Is there anybody out here whose favorite color is gray? Favorite color is gray. Nobody. Oh, one? We've got one guy back there in the back, and it's gray. Good, good, man. Well, I'm about to blow your thought away, so sorry for that. <laughs> First of all, gray is not a color. Did you know that? It's achromatic. It's, it's a color without color. And, and here's the bad side of gray. It's moody, it's dull, it's dirty, it's dingy, it's depressing. It is. I mean, how many of you, as we get toward winter, are going to say this, this is really a gray day? You know, that's how we think of it. Well, for the past two weeks, Alan's been talking about the gray, how we can get confused with who Jesus is and, and what his plan for our life is. And we're really diving into this because we know, because we face it every day also, that gray is a temptation. And the gospel is not gray. The gospel is light. The ungospel is dark. Between those two, gray only exists because dark tries to move and pull things from light. And when it's pulled in toward darkness, it becomes gray. So there are two things we have to do today. We have to learn, lastly, to act smart. But right now, we're going to learn how to think smart. Paul gives us a clue for that in 1 Corinthians 10.23. Listen to what the Word of God says. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. So you and I have been set free. And sometimes we think of that freedom as though that means I can do anything I want to do. Well, let's rephrase that. Freedom in Christ means that I can do and make choices to do whatever I want to do as long as it's in keeping with the Word of God. So I need to know the Word of God and the will of God in order to know how to live for God. And that's a tough thing to do. Barner's Research, a group of Christians who look at Christian trends, tells us one of the reasons it's so difficult. There's an increasing pluralism, relativism, and moral decline among Americans in the church. The challenge with competing views to Christianity is that they are fragments of similarities to some Christian teachings, and some may recognize and catch to these ideas, not realizing they are distortions of biblical truth. Let me give you an example. A few months back, I was in a church, and the pastor, in his conclusion, said, now, pretty sure that when someone dies, they still have another opportunity to receive Christ. Now, if you're listening to somebody who's preached for a long time, and you're thinking, wow, 
wonder if that's true. I mean, he said it, and he's a pastor. It's in the pulpit. Maybe I need to consider that. Here's the problem with that. It's wrong. It's just absolutely wrong. It is appointed unto man to die but once and then the judgment. Scripture says so. So there's no way you can do that. But that's the kind of thing that slips in. People will say, oh, all people worship the same God. No, they do not. You do not get to our God, the living and true God, without going through his son, Jesus Christ. All other gods are false gods. Don't buy in to the gray. The gray will tempt you. The gray will try to drag you down. So you have to think, think, think smart. Here's some of our competition. Three of the primary religions in the world, Hinduism. It's a work to spiritual perfection. That's what you're trying to do. Humanism. Just trust in yourself. You're God. Islam. You fulfill five religious duties. And you might get into paradise. What do all those have in common? Apart from Christianity, they have two things in common. They're all works righteous, which means they believe that you, who are the sinner and are the problem, can also be the solution. And you know quite well that if you're the problem, more than likely you're not the solution. It takes something outside of yourself to solve the problem that you've created, so you need help. So they share that in common. They're all saying you can work your way to righteousness. The second thing they have in common is they're all wrong. Now, we say that in love because we're not saying it with some kind of pride as though what we believe is true because we believe it. No, it's true all by itself. God is who he said he is, but he wants us to lovingly present this truth to other people, let them see it by the way you and I live. So this thinking is vitally important. That's, it's not a new problem. I'm going to go back a few centuries, read you what some people said. There's a pastor by the name of David Clarkston who lived in the late 1600s. One of my favorite quotes here, Satan blinds one eye and self-love closes the other. And the deceitfulness of sin seals both. Thus they assure themselves that they are on their way to heaven when they are on the high road to hell. So you can be convinced of something because of your own love of yourself, and you close your eyes to it, and the other eye closes because Satan has gotten in there. He's convinced you, like the old country song, if it feels so good, how could it be wrong? It's wrong if it's opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's the gospel. The only living and true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sent the Son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God, to this earth to live the life of a man being the God-man. In so doing, he lived and was tempted in every way as you and I have been tempted, yet he did it without sinning. And then here, this righteous person, this only one who has ever accomplished that, allows himself to pay the price for you and for me. He's crucified. He's dead. He's buried. On the third day, he rises from the dead. He ascends into the right hand of the Father. 
And from there, he'll come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Catholic Church, meaning worldwide church of Jesus Christ. We believe in the communion of saints. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in life everlasting. That's the Apostles' Creed, not that they wrote it, but that's the creed they believed. And so the gospel you believe should be the same gospel the apostles preached in the first century. If it's any different than that, leave the church. Because if grace starts slipping out, it will attract you to itself, and then it will dump you in darkness. And that's not what you're looking for. You need to learn how to stay in the light. J.C. Ryle, 1840 to 1900, he was an Anglican preacher. He said this, myriads of professing Christians nowadays seem utterly unable to distinguish things that differ. In other words, for our use, gray areas of life. Like people afflicted with colorblindness, they are incapable of discerning what is true, what is false, what is sound, and what is unsound. So the 17th century, the 19th century, same problems going on in the church. Last century, the 20th century, a pastor named Arthur Pink writes this, Never were there so many millions of nominal Christians on the earth as there are today. And never were there such a small percentage of real ones. Not since before the days of Luther and Calvin, when the great Reformation affected such a grand change for the better, has Christendom been so crowded with those who have a form of godliness, but who are strangers to its transforming power. We seriously doubt whether there has ever been a time in history of the Christian era when there were such multitudes of deceived souls within the church who verily believe that all is well with their souls, when in fact the wrath of God abides on them. It's not new. But how we live it out makes a huge difference. So we need to learn how to think. If the gospel is right, then everything else is wrong. So what are you going to do? How does your thinking take place? Constructive decisions based on absolutes that are consistent with Scripture is the way you have to think. You have to learn to bring every thought that you have captive to the Word of God. Test it with God's Word. He will tell you whether it's right or not. So there are going to be four questions you're going to ask yourselves. Here come the first two. The first two still have to do with thinking smart. Will it draw me closer in my relationship to God? That's your first question. I'm about to make a decision to do something. Is this going to glorify God? Is it going to draw me closer to God? Because if it isn't, and I make that decision, I'm going to be drawn into the gray. And let me tell you the danger of being in the gray is you turn your back on the light, and now you're facing the darkness, and the potential is for that darkness to overwhelm you because he came to seek, to kill, to destroy. And so he's going to pull you into it as best he can. And it's just your decision as to whether you go there or not. So how do you make that decision? God gave you himself. He gave you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Jesus said, I'm sending him, and he will 
lead you into all truth. So all I have to do is say, Holy Spirit, I have this decision before me. No matter what kind of decision it is, would you tell me the best way to do this? I'm going to be quiet now. I'm going to be still and wait upon the Lord, and I want you to speak, Lord. And then you just wait. Sometimes you'll hear, well, go ask Bob. And so you'll go and say, Bob, I'm trying to make this decision. I've been praying about it been asking the Holy Spirit to speak to me, and he told me to speak to you. Because sometimes wisdom comes through other people to us. There's wisdom in this group think if we're all believers. So we need that kind of help. But we have to capture what's going to draw me closer to God. If it's not drawing you closer to God, even though, according to the scripture we read, all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. So there's some things that you'll think, well, how is this drawing me closer to God? If, if, I, if I choose to do this, is it going to keep me from or substitute something in my life that robs my relationship with God? And that's how we have to think. That thought process is vital to understanding. How many of you made decisions today? Everybody in here. You decided to get up. You decided to get dressed. You decided to... Now, I know I don't get up and say, okay, Holy Spirit, which sock should I wear today? That's not what I'm talking about. But neither do I have to say, would it be okay for me to kill today? You know, should I steal, lie, commit adultery? Should I do... I don't have to ask that. That's not what we're talking about. That's already been settled. What I'm looking for is that intricate relationship with God that's going to Help me even in the tiniest of things. What, what should I say today, Lord? How should I deal with my wife, with my children, with my husband? And before I act, should I not first think about what you want me to do? So you move from that question, God, what is it you really want me to do, into the second question, which is, will it violate my conscience? Now, every one of you in here has a conscience. What is a conscience? It's that part of you that judges your morality. It tells you, this is right, this is wrong. Now, it's based on an ethic. An ethic is an absolute to a Christian. The Word of God, we're going to talk about next week, is the ethical basis for everything you and I do. Our morality is based on that. So I have an unchanging ethic. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So my ethic is, I believe that. How do I act on it? My morality is, I love my wife as Christ loved the church. Now, I'm not Christ, so from time to time I fail. Generally, I fail because I got in the way of Christ giving me, through the Holy Spirit, the right answer to her question or the right action required to meet the need. So you see where I'm going with this is that the conscience has been given to you, and that conscience is the Spirit of God speaking into you. Why do you think Scripture says, I hide the word in my heart so that I will not sin against you? You know why? I hide the word in my heart so that when I'm about to make a choice that might take me into gray or black, darkness, when I do that, then the Word of God is going to be brought to my mind because the Spirit of God lives in me. And he's going to say, you don't want to do that because of this passage. You know, and I, oh, yeah, okay. 
And so I act on that because I will not violate my conscience. Now, here's the problem. You can sear your conscience. You can continue to do something you shouldn't be doing to the point that you convince yourself it's okay to do it because I'm not feeling any repercussions from having done it. No, the repercussions are spiritual. Repercussions are eternal. You're not going to get away with it because eventually you're going to stand before God and I don't know. What is, I haven't been there yet. I figure eternity is as long as it is because I do have to go there. Kenny, he's going to be talking to me for a long time about if you had, if you had, if you had, if you had. And, and that's not really joking, is it? We're all there because every one of us know we have these faults in us, but he loves us in spite of the faults, and he wants, us to help, he wants to help us out of those faults and keep us from going into them again. So we need to learn how to avoid the gray. Yesterday, Linda and I were in Indianapolis for one of our granddaughter's birthdays, six years old. And she had the um, little house on the prairie birthday. And so all the little girls that came had a little house on the prairie dresses and, and everything was little house on the prairie. And uh, I didn't realize they ate so much cooking cakes at little house, but uh, they did yesterday. So one of the presents she received was some little paints. After everyone had left, we were standing around talking. She came up to her mom and she said, I would like to paint now. And her mom looked at her and said, okay, now you know what that means. You have to put on a different clothing because you can't do that because that is such a beautiful outfit. She said, I know, I have to go put on all black. And I'm going, what? And she said, yes, my black that has all the paint all over it already that you kept from, I have to put that on, right? She's right, that's right. And suddenly it just hit me as I was thinking about this message. That's right. You and I are dressed beautifully before the Lord. And if you go out and play and get dirty or dingy, you're going into the gray. You can't wear the same clothes. You're taking off that righteousness and you're moving into an unhealthy way of life. So we need to learn what the gospel is saying to us is he did it all for you and me, not just to save us from our sins, but to give us a meaningful life that glorifies him. So think before you act. Check your conscience and say, is this going to glorify God? Then it's time to act. And in acting, Paul gives us some more information. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 is what he says. I have the right to do anything. It's repetitive from what he says later. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Everyone has a master. By accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, he has become our master. And so we serve willingly under him. Here's the problem. Every master is hidden in addictive behaviors. Now, from the positive side, that means, like the old Carmen song, I'm addicted to Jesus. And my addiction to him means I want to be with him every day. I want to study his word every day. I want to talk with him every day. I want him to get all the glory for the day. That's my desire. I have a hard time making that happen every day. But that's where I want to go with this. And in like manner, there are those addictions in the gray that draw you into addictions in the black. And you have to learn how to stay out of those by the choices you make. 
Your conscience, again, will inform you. You don't want to go there. You have a tendency of a problem there. I come from a family where addictions were in there on my father's side. And so I knew, once I became a Christian, to avoid those, to not go in, as we're saying today, into the gray, there are certain things that I cannot allow myself to touch because if I touch those, there is within me a familiar spirit that could identify with that and draw me into it. And so I'm going to avoid that. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't gamble because those were the three big things that were in his life. That's why he and my mother divorced when I was three years old. I don't want to go down that road because, you know, I tasted it before I became a Christian, and I thought it was good, but it was leading me toward death. Is there anything that is your master right now other than Christ? If there is and you need help with that, get help. We're here as a church to help. We can send you to people who can help. But you don't want that addiction. You can't sit here and say, I love Jesus, it's a wonderful life, everything's perfect, and I'm addicted to porn, or I'm addicted to alcohol, or I'm addicted to something else, because there's a conflict there. It means that you cannot really live in that freedom that God wants you to have, even though he loves you and he saved you. Because you see, these are addictions that saved people can have. We're not perfect. But to get delivered from them, we have to do something about it. And so seek the help that you need. The last question that you ask yourself is, what about that liberty you say I have? Don't I have Christian liberty? And here's how some would love to define it. I can do anything I want as long as it's biblical. That's not Christian liberty. You know what liberty really is? Liberty is saying, even though I have the right to do all the things that I want to do that are scriptural, Liberty means I will not do them if it's going to cause someone else to stumble. I will humble myself and not do it. So you've got to learn what Christian liberty means. It doesn't mean you can go out and just do whatever you want to do. It means that you're very cautious that your role in this life is to let other people see you as you're walking with Christ and let that walk be an influence on them. So you have no addictions, your conscience is clear, you're glorifying God in everything that you're doing. This is how God intends this whole thing to be. This is the gospel. Anything else is not. Jesus never walked in the gray. You guys come on up. He never walked in the gray. He is the gospel. Look at what he did with those four questions we ask ourselves. Did he glorify God? That's all he came to do. He said, I have come to glorify you. That was his purpose. What about his conscience? The Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptized, and the Spirit led him into the wilderness, and the Spirit was with him at all times, and the Spirit raised him from the dead. So his conscience was always clean because he was in constant communication. If we could very carefully use this misnomer and say Christ had an addiction, it would be that he was addicted to his father. And he prayed with him and communicated with him every single day, many times during the day. What an addiction. And you know what? In the end, 
He gave up his liberty. He did it intentionally so that you and I could have life. He gave up heaven. And he came down here to save us from our sin and to give us life. He didn't go into the gray. He jumped over it into the darkness. And he took our sin with him into that darkness and he left it there where it belongs and he paid the price that you and I owe. And then he brought us out of that darkness into the light. And here we are now in the light. So we need to learn to live in the light because that's God's intent for us. Is there anybody here that's not living in the light? That you haven't thought about it and acknowledged Jesus Christ as your master, your Lord, and your Savior. That's the first step. And then for the rest of us, what is it that's keeping us every single day from fulfilling the answer to those four questions? From thinking smart and acting smart. Only you know that. So talk to the Lord. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to challenge some of you who've never made that first commitment to Christ that you would consider coming to him as the only means of your salvation. You're not going to work to get there, but you're welcome here. This is a safe place to be. I'm going to challenge you to pray a prayer with me. For those of you who've already made that commitment, our challenge in some cases is even deeper because we have to challenge ourselves to walk closer with him so that we're not tarnished by the gray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Jesus, you are our everything. We pray this morning for those who are in need of making a very first-time commitment to you. You pray this prayer with me if that's you. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Turn me around so that I'm not facing them anymore. Cause me to repent. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and then give me your mind, your heart, your will to live a pleasing life for you. Lord, the rest of us pray in like manner that we need you. We need you deep in our hearts to help us make decisions that are pleasing to you so that we can act smart and be smart. For that's the gospel, Lord. We yield it to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you need to go out to the, the prayer for salvation. You need to go out to the info center because we have information out there. We like to follow up with you to help you take the next steps that are necessary. And also, being a Christian is a public thing. So if you made that commitment, I'd love for you to raise your hand. I'm not going to come talk to you or see you. But if you did make a commitment today, then raise your hand just real quickly so I can see it. And thank you. Praise the Lord. And uh, we're just going to see what God's going to do. So now, here's a good word from the Lord, the closing of the Lord. That is to just go live it out. Be everything that he's called you to be today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get in the lunch lines before they get long.